0: to ask you a question this morning and and I want you to consider it with me Um, and I want you to think seriously about it because this is the kind of question that that you might it might be easy to just quickly dismiss a question like this Uh, but I don't want you to dismiss this I want you to think about it I want you to just kind of pause and consider it how would your life be different how would your life be different if you were to pray on a regular basis God what do you want me to do right now? How would your life be different? if I'm not talking about, you know, in the middle of traffic, dropping to one knee, bowing your head and closing your eyes and praying some long prayer. I'm talking about in the middle of just your, your regular mundane moments. How would your life be different if you were to just pause and ask that question, God... What do you want me to do right now? Maybe I could be a little more specific with it. How would your marriage be different the next time y'all have a discussion? (laughs) Um, If you were to ask that question, God, what do you want me to do right now? In the way you raise your children, uh, God, what do you want me to do right now? Your son came home a little bit after curfew. Your daughter didn't text like she was supposed to. Um, There's a problem at school with a teacher. God, what do you want me to do right now. I wonder, would that change the quality of your life in any way, shape, or form? I wonder how your life would be affected if you would stop and start asking a question like that, just of your Heavenly Father on a regular basis. God, what do you want me to do right now? You see there's some obstacles to why we don't pray a prayer like that. And you can see, you know all of the practical obstacles of why we don't pray like that, but there's some deeper obstacles to reasons uh, uh, for reasons why we don't pray like that. One of the one of the obstacles is is that we just we believe that God sees me or I believe sometimes that God sees me the way that I see me. Maybe you believe that God sees you the way you see you. And so maybe somewhere deep in your heart you think, I I don't need to pray a prayer like that. I mean, I'm just a laughable little fuzzball, right? Why would God even care? God doesn't really need me. But that's a myth, and it's an obstacle to why we pray, and it's not exactly accurate. And and maybe one of those other myths or one of those other obstacles for why we don't pray like that is because maybe we believe that, that the way God sees me is the way everybody else sees me. Or maybe you believe that God sees you the way everybody else sees you, and I don't really have any influence, and I'm not—you know—I've I've just got my—I'm I'm doing fine in my little corner of Owasso or my little corner of the world. I'm doing okay, and you know, I—I I have a good reputation. God sees me the way everybody else sees me, and so He thinks He thinks I'm doing fine. And and realistically, you know, there's a small group of people that really want me. So maybe God, maybe He wants me like that. Maybe He doesn't really need me. Maybe. He doesn't really want me. God doesn't really see me the way I see me. Or maybe maybe God does see me the way I see me. Or maybe God sees me the way people see me. Or maybe I just don't believe I've got anything to offer God at all anyway. Maybe I just look at my life and I think, why, how could I possibly step into the workplace and, and, and express my faith in the workplace? I don't really have that much to offer. I don't know much. I don't have much. I mean, why would they listen to me? And so those become some very natural obstacles to a prayer like that. God, what do you want me to do right now? But I firmly believe that what this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I think what it shows us is I think it shows us what happens when a life is lived with that kind of prayer. I think it shows us what happens when a life is lived in a way that we take a look at our heart and we ask God, God, what do you want me to do right now? And when God speaks, which is often, we simply say yes and we go. So we're in a series called The King's Tale and we've been going through kind of section by section and verse by verse through the book of First Samuel. And last week we saw how Samuel had rejected King Saul and over the past several weeks we've seen kind of the rise of Saul and the failure of Saul and now we see that Saul has been rejected and and the story has begun with the story of this man named Samuel who is the last judge of Israel. Now it's really interesting to see the dichotomy that's been set up inside this book because there, there's something really intricate that's going on here. The judges of Israel, well the, the nation of Israel, they had lived in a time when there wasn't really what could be discerned as a, a legitimate centralized government. Everyone, every tribe, every family lived according to the laws and the tradition of Moses, and God functioned as their king. And Israel went through these seasons of, of obedience and these seasons of disobedience. Seasons of obedience and seasons of disobedience. And in the throughout the book of Judges, we see that in their seasons of obedience, they're blessed. In their seasons of disobedience, someone from outside comes in, attacks them in enslaves them, uh, harasses them in some way and then they cry out to God and then God raises up a judge And the children of Israel are freed again. And Samuel stands as the last judge of Israel. And the reason why he stands that way is because he judges Israel during a time when the heart of Israel is far from the heart of God. And the people come to to Samuel and they say, give us a king like everybody else. We don't want God to be our king anymore. We'd like to have an earthly king. And if you'll remember, Samuel, he's frustrated by that. He takes that to God. God, what do you want me to do right now? And God says, we'll give him a king they ask for a king. I'm going to give them a king that matches their heart. And so he raises up Saul and he says, here's what your king's going to do. He's going to to divide your families. He's going to send your sons to war and he's going to put your daughters to work. He's going to take the best of your stuff to give it to his mighty men of valor. And then all the stuff you haven't made yet, well, he's going to tax all of that stuff. And so Samuel tells Saul, the, the people of Israel this, hey, this is what a king does, right? So if that's what you want, God says, okay, I'll give you a king. And guess what? They anoint Saul a king, as, as king, they appoint Saul as king, and then Saul proceeds to do exactly what God says would happen. And, and in the middle of doing that, what you see in Saul's heart is something that's really interesting. And again, this is the interesting dichotomy of the first part of Samuel, You see the children of Israel, they obey and they disobey. They obey and they disobey. You see one priest, the priest is Eli, who is the one who trained up Samuel. Eli and his sons rebel against God and they receive the judgment of God because of it. They end up all dying essentially on the same day. And Samuel is left as the judge and Samuel receives the grace of God throughout his life. And you see these two kings, King David and, and ultimately King Saul. And King Saul, his heart reflects the heart of the people. And, and, and it's a heart that's really far from God. He doesn't serve God because it's crucial to his faith. He serves God because it's convenient for him. And, it's, and he kind of follows the crowd a lot. And you see God, he rises up and he judges Saul. And he gives grace to King David. So it's this interesting dichotomy that you see back and forth, and and it makes me wonder where you are and where I am in all of that. God, what do you want me to do right now? Are we in that space in our life right now where we're like Israel in that that path of obedience, or are we on that path of disobedience? Where are we in our walk with Christ? Are we going to walk the way Saul walked, where we let our faith be kind of convenient based on the crowd, or are we going to be like David where our faith is crucial and critical in in our lives? What, What are we going to be and who are we going to do? And as you get to 1 Samuel chapter 1, what you see from Samuel is you see that he's the last judge of Israel and he knows it. And he's thinking to himself, God, I've prayed that prayer. What do you want me to do right now? His life began, his ministry began as a young child, and, and he hears the voice of God. And remember, First uh, Samuel chapter three verse one says, "The word of the Lord was rare in those days." And Samuel, as a young boy, hears the voice of God, and he he starts his ministry by saying, "Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do right now? Here I am, Lord." And he's thinking to himself, God has an intent for me. He has a plan for me. I get to be the one who anoints this king. I get to be the one who serves my God. And I get to be the one who... And, and still, everything goes exactly as God says it's going to go, but not exactly as Samuel had planned. In spite of the fact that he was saying, God, what do you want me to do right now? And you get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, and it's interesting how that starts. 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I don't know what you grieve over today. I don't know what expectation God hasn't met in your life. Maybe it has to do with your marriage. Maybe it has to do with your finances. Maybe it has to do with your position or your power or your prominence or the condition of your family. Or I I don't know what expectation God hasn't met in your life. But here's this moment where Samuel had done everything God had told him to do, and he finds himself just grieving over the fact that Saul was not the king that Israel needed. And so God just kind of steps in front of him. Samuel, how long are you going to grieve? Saul did everything I said he was going to do. How long are you going to grieve? And then look what happens. 1 Samuel 16, chapter 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. God, Samuel would say, What do you want me to do right now? Well, God says, fill your horn and go. And you know what Samuel did? He went. He got up in 1 Samuel 16, verse 4. Look at verse 4 real quick. It says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. He got up and he went. And I think it reveals this very powerful principle, this very powerful principle that I think we need to catch. And that's that simple obedience will always move your heart to the heart of God's will. Simple obedience will always move you. It always moves you to the heart of God's will. So through the grief and through the fear and through the disappointment and through the expectations that were, that were broken and that were missed, Samuel's life was characterized by that prayer. God, what do you want me to do right now? And Samuel, when he's told, simply gets up to go and he did what the Lord commanded. Simple obedience moves you to the heart of God's will. Now, that verse 4, 1 Samuel sixteen four, 4, uh, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. It's really interesting. It, what, what's interesting about it is this chapter is the last chapter in Samuel's public ministry. It's the last thing that he does in public ministry. He starts with, here I am, Lord. What do you need from me? And his life ends with, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. Could you imagine That being your reputation. Could you imagine living your life in such a way that when you get to the end of it, that the first thing that's said about you and the last thing that's said about you is this is a man, this is a woman, this is a son, this is a daughter, this is a person who did what God said. How would your life be different if you would just simply pray, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do right now? It's interesting. It just, let's just keep going in 1 Samuel 16, verse 4. He's not just struggling with grief. Samuel's not just struggling with grief. It's not the only thing that gets in the way of the possibility of him being obedient. Even though there's this obstacle to his faith, he still gets up and goes. But there's another obstacle there. Uh, verse 4 says, uh, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. Excuse me, let, I, we have to back up. It's actually in verse 3. Um, Actually, it's in verse 2. I have to keep backing up. <laughs> We're just going to keep backing up till we go back to Genesis today. Is that okay? We'll just start there. That'd be good. It's First Samuel chapter 16, verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. <laughs> so he's not just grieving. He's afraid, God, if I do what you said, I could die. But in spite of the fear, in spite of what for him had to feel like a failure, he's grieving over the failure of, of Saul... He still gets up and he goes. Simple obedience always moves you, your heart, moves you, moves your heart to the will of God. It always does that. And then when Samuel shows up in Bethlehem, that's where verse 4 continues. Go back to verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The the reaction of the elders, I think it's hilarious. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling. <laughs> they were afraid that Samuel was coming, and the reason why they were afraid was because they knew what his reputation was. When Samuel shows up, God speaks. The only reason Samuel is showing up is because God has spoken and they know their own heart. They know what's going on inside their own heart and they're wondering, okay, uh, feared and revered, that's my reaction to Samuel because I don't know, are you coming for something good, Samuel, or are you coming for something get bad? Is God bringing, because in our time, we've seen God bring his justice and we've seen God bring his grace. So what are, Samuel, what are you showing up for. And I think it's another principle that we see that I think is important when it comes to this idea of simple obedience, that your reputation reveals who rules your heart. Your reputation reveals who rules your heart. If you were to start praying that prayer, God, what do you want me to do right now? And then you were to simply start obeying him. What would the knee-jerk reaction of your boss be? Would your boss assume that you've just lost your mind? (laughs) Would your boss know anything about your faith at all? What's the reputation you've built at work? Do you have the reputation of being someone who follows hard after God? Do you have the reputation of being someone who is a person of faith? Do you have the reputation of being someone who's judgmental and hypercritical? Who's someone someone who is a, a hypocrite in their own views and their own ways and their own Do you have a, a reputation for being a person who's overbearing? Do you have a reputation for being someone who's so passive aggressive that when there's a problem, you're not the one who's ever gonna f- confront it head on? You're gonna be the one in the background pulling the strings, making certain Everybody else is just upset and unhappy. What's your reputation at school or your reputation on the ball field? Do you have your reputation for being one way as you're teaching Sunday school and being another way when you're playing basketball? Your reputation reveals who rules your heart. And for Samuel, when God said go, he went. And when God commanded, he said yes. And simple obedience always moved him to a place where he was closer to the heart of God, how would your life be different if that became a prayer you prayed and that when God spoke, you said yes? You see, I find that to be just a fascinating reality for for who Samuel is. It's another thing that John chapter 10 verse 27 says. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I think that might be a problem in our American culture these days for people who claim Christianity as their faith. There are an awful lot of us who know the words of this book. And there are an awful lot of us who have heard the stories and seen the flannel graphs. And we've been a part of Vacation Bible School and we've, we've heard all the, the different stories about walking on water and all of those things. We've seen all of those moments. And while we have this great head knowledge, we can talk about the Bible like we talk about a movie. I, I saw it, I know what it says but we're not necessarily letting it get into us and affect us and influence the pattern and the habit of our lives. We're not actually following Jesus. And so the reputation that we've built for our faith becomes a re- the reputation of Christians everywhere that, hmm, they know a lot of stuff, but they don't really care about anybody but themselves. See, that's a, that's a challenging thought, isn't it? Jesus in John ten twenty seven said, no, that's not the way things work. They, they hear my voice, and they follow me. Can you say that about your own life? That when you hear the voice of God, you follow after him to do what he says. I've seen some families that have just fallen apart because someone has said, I just, I don't feel like I love her anymore. I'm just tired of all the bills, and I'm tired of all the struggle and I'm tired of this and I'm tired of that and, and, and I think sometimes if we were to pray God what do you want me to do right now in the middle of those feelings God would say I know how you feel love her anyway I know the struggles that you face I know them through the grief through the fear I know them trust me follow me and love Him anyway. In spite of the feeling, follow the heart of what God says, and trust that in our faithfulness to God, that God will be faithful to us. He's proven it time and time again. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I wonder what would happen if you just prayed that prayer. God. What do you want me to do right now? You see, in this moment with Samuel, he's not just going someplace insignificant. He's not just doing something small. He's actually committing, as a leader, he's committing an act of rebellion against another leader. And it's a God-inspired act of rebellion. And so in spite of what Saul has said, in spite of what Samuel knows to be true, he steps up and says, God said it, I'm going to do it, I'll be faithful. This is where my loyalty lies. My loyalty lies not to the king of men, but to the king of kings. That's where my loyalty lies. And he shows up. And, and it's in this passage that we find this incredible verse of scripture that just reveals something about the heart of God for you and for me. And I hope you can catch this today because it it, it is the kind of truth that really transforms the way we think about everything. And it's it's the third principle I want us to see today. It's, It's just an important one, that how God sees you is far more relevant than how anyone else sees you. You may not see yourself as someone who can hear the voice of God. You may not see yourself as someone who could be obedient to God. You may not see yourself as someone who's obedient or valuable. You may not see someone as, see yourself as someone who's relevant or someone who other people listen to. That's really the idea behind platform 936, the idea that all of us have this platform that God's gifted us influence with one another. And no matter how big or how small your circle may be, you can use that platform for the glory of God and for the good of others. As you listen to the voice of God, as you obey the word of God, as you follow him, you can, in your circle of influence and in that sphere, you can be the one who carries the words of life to the people around you. You can be the one who brings those words of grace and truth into your classroom. With that biology teacher that's just not very good and now everybody's grade stinks because the test was hard and everybody failed it and you can be the one who brings grace into that moment and brings life into that moment. You can be the one when you're out doing whatever hobby it is, you're on the golf course and you're playing golf, you can be the one who, who brings an eternal element to the conversation that you're having as you're just hanging out with a bunch of friends. You can be the one who does that. Why? Well, because the way God sees you is far more relevant than the way anyone else sees you. And in that moment, if God's placed you there and he's placed his spirit inside your heart, then any moment you have with a friend or with a family member has the opportunity to have eternal significance. Why? Well, because the way God sees you is far more relevant than the way you see you. Look at First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. This is that verse that's just so uh, prominent, and it's, it's one that so many people know. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So let's just break that down for just a minute. God does not see the way we see. God doesn't see. The way man sees. That's the first thing. And you saw what happened there. This is such an interesting moment. Here's Samuel. He's come. He knows he's come to anoint a king, but no one else in Bethlehem knows that that's the reason that he's there. He's gone to Jesse. Hey, Jesse, let's have a big feast. I'd like to meet your family. Bring your sons before me. Present your sons to me. I'd like to get to know them. And the first son that Samuel sees is Eliab. And Eliab looks like a king. I mean, he's tall. He's got the deep voice. He's got the muscles. He looks like a king looks. And Samuel's immediately thinking... This is the guy. And isn't this an interesting pattern that God sets up? And it's really the way more like my life goes than what we see in the Bible sometimes. God says to Samuel, get up and go, but he doesn't tell him the whole story. He didn't tell him exactly who would be king, he just told him generally, go over here, I've got something good for you to do, but he didn't give him all the details yet. And so maybe God's told you today something good that you should do, but he's not giving you all the details yet, and you're just kind of hanging back going, hey God, I'm just going to wait, I'm going to wait till you, show me a little bit more, give me a little more details, show me a little bit more. That No, don't do that. When God says go, get up and go, don't wait, he'll tell you the rest of the story when you're ready to hear it. He'll tell you the rest of the story when you're ready to engage it, and when 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 you're ready to see it, had God told Samuel everything that Samuel needed to know, we never would have gotten 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. You and I wouldn't be able to discover in this moment that God doesn't see the way man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God, he looks at the heart. We wouldn't have been able to see that. So here's Samuel, and it's such an odd scene. Here's Samuel, and the the sons are walking by. Eliab walks by, and Shaman, all these different guys, seven sons walk by. God doesn't see as man sees. People look at the outward appearance. And you get down to one of the verses uh, there, and it's like all the sons have walked by, and Samuel still hasn't found the right guy. <laughs> okay, God, what do you want me to do right now? Um, he's, he's wondering, and he's like looking at Jesse. Um, are these all your sons? Maybe you have a daughter? <laughs> I don't know, maybe a family pet? Because <laughs> I haven't found the one that I'm looking for yet. Where's... What an odd question to ask. And as he asks the question, Jesse goes, oh, yeah, I've got one more son. He's fulfilling a responsibility for me right now. He's out taking care of my sheep. People look at the outward appearance. Even Jesse's, uh, even Jesse as the father looked at David and went, he, "We got somebody's got to take care of the sheep. Might as well be this one. He's the ruddy one. He's the runt of the litter. He's the young one. People look at, what outward appearances are you looking at? God, I, I couldn't possibly talk to them about you. Uh, I couldn't possibly do that. I don't, I don't know the Bible well enough. Um, you, you, we look at the spreadsheets, right? Man, they're, man, their bank account's just way bigger than mine. Send them, because they, they're just far more qualified than I am. They know more. They have more. They're, they're better looking. They're stronger. They're faster. They're louder. They're, they're better. They're more talented. They've got this, and I don't, and they've got... We, we do that, right? People look at the outward appearance. And you and I do that to one another all the time. Well, he's the one who stands up there and talks like this. I couldn't possibly do that with anybody else. I couldn't do that. We look at the outwards, how are you disqualifying yourself? What are you using? What excuse are you using to disqualify yourself? Not because you're seeing the heart, well, your own heart, the way God sees your heart, but because you're seeing your heart the way you think everybody else sees your heart. How have you disqualified yourself? Because you're looking at somebody else going, well, they're far more qualified. They're far better. They're. Don't do that. People look at the outward appearance, but watch this. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, He looks at your heart. And then I think it's interesting that David shows up, and as soon as David shows up, uh, part of what's funny about it is the thing it describes is his outward appearance. Man, this kid's good looking. He's ruddy, he's got great looking eyes. I'm thinking, Samuel, it's weird that you noticed. (laughs) Um, but So here's this kid who now he looks like a king, but it's not just that he looks like a king. The most important part of all of this is that Samuel once again prays, God, what do you want me to do right now? And God answers and says, this is the one. This is the one who will be a man after my own heart. This is the one I want to be, not the people's king. This is the one who I want to be my king. And as I think about that, one of the things I notice the most in this passage is that the issue isn't David's heart and the issue isn't Samuel's heart. The issue really is, and really as we think about this being called a king's tale, the series that we're in being called a king's tale, it's not even that it's about King Saul or King David or King Solomon or all the other kings that come after them. It's really about, this story is really about the heart of God for you and for me. When it says God sees your heart, he saw David's heart too. He knew every victory David would experience. He knew, he knew every act of obedience that David would fulfill. He knew that David would write many psalms and he would he would raise up, he, he would rise up, he, would, he knew that David would defeat Goliath. He knew all these great and incredible things that he would that he would do. And God knows that about you too. When he, God looks at you, when he sees your heart, I think it's like a father that looks at a son. I think he sees potential, I think he sees possibility, I think he sees purpose. This last uh, weekend I got to be in Oklahoma City with my parents and there's an exotic car place in Edmond, Oklahoma and my youngest son Dawson has gotten bit by the exotic car bug (laughs) and so we went to the exotic car place to look and in this place is a Lamborghini Aventador. Um, It's a $259,000 car. and uh, it's worth more than me (laughs) and my house and all of those different things. And he's 10, and it's it's fun to see his eyes light up, and we got there just in time to talk to the owner of the store and to just kind of see he's got a bunch of different cars. What a great thing. And I look at my son, and I think to me in my heart, there's just no way I could possibly ever earn enough or be enough to own a vehicle like that. It just won't ever happen. But do you think as a dad that's the way I talk to my son? son, you're 10. I see nothing in you but potential and possibility and purpose. Could you ever someday have the kind of career and be the kind of man who could spend that kind of money on a crazy car like this? Sure. Dream big. Go for it. I see potential and possibility and purpose. And when God looks at you just like a father to a son, he sees potential And he sees possibility and he sees purpose. He saw all of that in David. He knows what all the potential victories you'll ever will have will be and what the opportunities that are there. But you know what else he sees? He sees the worst thing you'll ever do on the worst day of your life. And he saw that in David too. Most of us know the story of David and how at some point, He looked at another man's wife and said, I want her to be my wife. And then he arranged for that man to be murdered so that he could have the guy's wife. Most of you know that David, as much as he was a man after God's own heart, he was a terrible earthly father. There were tragedies committed against his daughter that he passive-aggressively just completely ignored. It nearly cost him the kingdom. And it certainly cost him the love and the heart of some of his other sons. David wasn't picked because David's heart was pure. David was picked because God had a heart for David. And he has a heart for you. He sees potential and possibility. He sees purpose. And watch what God does to a heart. God, he takes a heart that's rebellious and he redeems it. God redeems a rebellious heart. He took Paul, the apostle, used to be called Saul. Saul was a murderer, and he transformed his heart into that of a missionary. He redeems a rebellious heart. God rescues a captive heart. That's the other thing he does. uh, The children of Israel, they were captives in the nation of Egypt. And he took a man named Moses, a man who was angry and a man who was arrogant, and he transformed Moses' heart into this man who would become this leader who would go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he did. And the nation of Israel was freed because of that. God, God restores a broken heart. What's your heart been broken over lately? God restores a broken heart. There's this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And everybody knows it. And they take her out in public and they're ridiculing her. And they take her to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus stands up to guard the heart of this broken woman. And he looks at the crowd and he condemns the crowd. You who have no sin, cast the first stone. What's your heart? Broken over today because God, oh, He wants to stand up and guard your heart today. And then He didn't just leave her there. The, the crowd disperses, the crowd goes away. They leave her alone because they recognize their own sin. He then lovingly turns to this woman whose heart is broken and He just wants to restore this broken heart. And lovingly, He looks her in the eyes and says, Now go. And sin no more. He essentially says, guess what? You don't have to live this way anymore. You see, this is about God's heart for you. Much more so than anything God saw in the heart of David. There's a verse in Second Chronicles. It's 16 verse 9. It says that the eyes of the Lord move over all the earth. So that he may give strength to those whose heart is fully his. There's another verse, it's in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 was written by a worship leader named Asaph and Asaph was a worship leader who was appointed by King David to be a worship leader. So I know David and Asaph had to have had some, some conversations and one of the things that Asaph says in Psalm 73 is he says, my heart and my flesh, many times they fail but but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." and ever. God, man, he redeems a rebellious heart. He restores he restores a broken heart. He he overcomes that captive heart. And right now, he can be the strength of your heart. And you know why? Uh, the reason why God can be the strength of your heart is because that the issue has never been and will never be how you see you or how others see you. The issue has always been how God sees you. The issue has never been and will never be how you see you or how others see you. The issue will always be God sees your heart.